of a series that we're calling Ecclesia, where we're taking a look at the ancient and future church. And as we take a look at the ancient church, as we take a look at the future church, what we are to learn is how to do church now here in the present. And what we have learned is that Ecclesia, a gathering, the church, is a community. And we are to be a different kind of community. As we look at our culture around us, as we look at our world around us, we are to be a different kind of community. And Josh kicked that off in the first sermon of the series when he took a look at what it meant to actually be a community. And then Charles continued on and he took a look at what it means to be a community on mission and what is the mission of the church as we continue what Jesus started. And that's kind of the flow that we follow in this series. We're a community and we're a community on mission. And so last week we said that as you say yes to Jesus, you say yes to his mission and you say yes to his church. And we gave you some homework last week. Did you do it? Some of you are avoiding my eyes. And here's what the homework was. What we said is we wanted you to pray as a church. And what we said is we were starting this campaign called Say Yes. And we wanted you to spend three days praying and asking God to show you where you were to participate in the work of the church. And during those three days, you were to also take three names off of the wall And those names are the names of everyone at the church. And so as a church, we were going to pray for the church. Coincidentally, Moses, Liliana, and Eric, I prayed for you this week. And if there's anything specific you want me to pray for, please let me know. I'll be praying for that. So we had you do some homework. And guess what? We have you doing homework. I'm going to give you the homework up front. Okay, we're going to do things backwards today. It's like eating dessert before dinner. We're going to do things backwards today. I'm going to give you the homework up front for this week again. Uh, Here's your homework, okay? Because you're like, okay, we prayed, now I'm ready to sign up. Where am I going to volunteer? Nope. We want you to do the same homework you did last week, this week. We want you to spend three days praying, of asking God, where is it that I'm supposed to participate? And we want you to take three more names from the wall and continue to pray as a church for us, the church. And why are we doing that? Well, we committed to you a while back that we want to reclaim some of our heritage and we want to make sure that we were praying and then doing praying, and then doing. And that's what we're going to be doing as a church. You know, when I was young, I was, I was, I was a good kid. I don't know why you're giggling or laughing at that. I was a good kid. I obeyed instantaneously every single time. My parents, all the time, I obeyed right away. Maybe there were some exceptions. Maybe there were some exceptions. And when my parents would come to me and tell me to do something, Perhaps there were times where I would say, why? Or actually, what I used to say all the time was, how come? How come? So much so that my family would make fun of me for this phrase. And my dad was really gracious. My dad was really gracious whenever I would do that. He would would tell me to do something, and I'm like, oh. How come? And my dad was gracious, and then he would, he would start this little dance, and I'm not going to do it justice, but he would take his thumbs, and he would start going like this. And then he would start pointing at himself, and then he would go, because I'm the boss. 
What was he trying to do at that point? What he was trying to do was first make me laugh as I was being a pain in the neck. But two, he was trying to remind me, there are sometimes you're not going to understand. There's going to be sometimes you don't want to do what I say. Or sometimes it might even be confusing to you. But you have to be obedient simply because of who it is that is telling you what it is to do. He was telling me, I'm the boss. So I get to tell you a command and you have to obey it. Well, that's very important for the passage that we're going to study today. Today we're going to be studying from the book of Matthew, chapter 28. It's what's known traditionally in the church as the Great Commission. And in the Great Commission, we will learn three things today. We will learn of a reveal, a command, and a promise. And I think at times what happens when we look at the Great Commission as a church is that we just focus on the command. We just focus on the command and we're like, okay, how do we do this command? But if we're not careful, we will miss that reveal and we will miss that promise. And both of them share beautiful and deep truths about Jesus. That command is sandwiched in between these two beautiful truths about Jesus. And the reason that's important is because at times we may see that command and think it's too hard to do. Or we may disagree with it or we might be confused or we may not even understand. But we follow the command because of the one who is giving us the command. Because contrary to what my dad would want to say, he's not the boss. Jesus is the boss. So take a look at Matthew chapter 28. We're going to start at verse 16. Then the eleven disciples went to Galilee, to the mountain where Jesus had told them to go. When they saw him, they worshipped him, but some doubted. Then Jesus came to them and said, All authority in heaven and on earth has been given to me. And we're going to stop there. All authority in heaven and on earth has been given to me. That's a huge reveal. That's a huge reveal. Do we understand what that actually means? Do we understand what Jesus is saying when he says, All authority has been given to me. Do we understand what he is claiming at that point? Because I think at times I can read that and I can just kind of breeze past it and not really take time to think about what that means. All means all. All means all. It means that that seed that is laid into a bed of earth and a warm blanket of dirt is covered over it. And as that seed waits to grow into a plant, it is under the authority of Jesus. It means that that bear that begins to snack a little bit extra in the summer, a little bit extra in the fall, as it gets ready to hibernate, it's under the authority of Jesus. It means that that humpback whale that gets together with the rest of that choir of humpback whales and sing in the deep blue ocean, it's under the authority of Jesus. All means all. That comet that flies through the darkness of space, it's under the authority of Jesus. That star that is so large that it makes our planet look like a speck of dust, it's under the authority of Jesus. Every bacteria, every virus, every, every atom, proton, electron, and neutron, every, every infinitely, infinitely small piece of physical property on earth is under 
the authority of Jesus. Do we understand what that means? It means that any government, any parliament, any congress, any queen, any king, any president, any dictator, any prime minister are all under the authority of Jesus. It means that any political party, whether Republican or Democrat, are under the authority of Jesus. All means all. All means all. And it's why Paul can write in Philippians in chapter 2, he can say, Therefore God exalted him to the highest place and gave him the name that is above every name, that the name of Jesus every knee should bow in heaven and on earth and under the earth, and every tongue acknowledge that Jesus Christ is Lord to the glory of God the Father. All means all. That is the one who gives us a command. That is the one who gives us a command. These are the credentials of Jesus. They are his credentials. And they are unmatched. They are unmatched. But not only are they credentials, they are a comfort. They are a comfort. Jesus gives his credentials, but he also gives them not just to establish that he has all authority or to reveal that, he also gives them as a message of comfort. Because while this earth is under the authority of Jesus, it also is in the stage of active rebellion to that authority. And Jesus knows what he is asking his disciples to do, what he's asking his church to do, is going to be extremely hard. And the reason it's going to be extremely hard is because someone may live under the authority of Jesus and yet not live according to the authority of Jesus. You get that? Someone may live under the authority of Jesus, but not yet live according to the authority of Jesus. And there's all these things that can happen because of that. There's all these things that can happen around us. There's all these things that can happen to discourage us. There's all these things that can happen to bring angst or fear or all of these things. And what Jesus is saying when he makes this reveal of all authority, he's saying, don't get distracted about the surroundings. Don't get distracted by all of these things going on around you. I'm in charge. I'm in charge. Jesus has all authority. All authority. And he reveals this. And he gives his credentials. And after giving his credentials, he makes a command. Let's go back into Matthew 28. So he's just made this reveal. He's just said that all authority in heaven and on earth has been given to him. And then he goes, therefore, now that you've seen my credentials, therefore, go and make disciples of all nations, baptizing them in the name of the Father and of the Son and of the Holy Spirit, and teaching them to obey everything I have commanded you. In this series, what we've said is that we're going to take a look at the ancient and future church. The Bible is complete and then there are all these years between the times of those disciples and today that the church has existed. And what we know that as is church history. This early church, there's church history, and it's fascinating. It's, it's really good to kind of just study the history of the church. And what we learn as we study the history of the church is that our understanding of the Bible and our understanding of what it says continues to uh, be more mature, continues to uh, develop as we go through church history. 
There was a time in church history where people would approach the Bible and approach that passage and simply think it was relevant to the disciples on that mountainside. And that's it. But in 1729, there was a British pastor who happened to also be a shoemaker. It's kind of like Josh, except this person made a lot of shoes. Josh just buys a lot of shoes. His name was William Carey. And William Carey wrote this missionary essay. And in this missionary essay, what he began to say was, no, this command is for all of us today as well. And what he began to say is like, we are to bring the gospel to all nations. And he said that our responsibility is, as a church is to send and, and that you are either going to all nations to bring the gospel or you are staying and supporting those who go. And William Carey's essay revolutionized the church and how it looked at missions, how it looked at this command to go and make disciples. And that was the first step. And then as we go along, we got into recent times and we got into understanding what it means to live life on mission and what it means to live a missional life. And what some scholars began to do is began to look at this word for go. And what they understood is that this word actually had two meanings. It had the meaning of a command to go, but it also had a meaning that said, as you go. And there was, it, it, first it appeared like there was in conflict. Is it a command to go or is it just acknowledgement that you are already going? as you go. And the only reason that's a conflict is because we live in an English-speaking country. The truth of the matter is, is that it's both. It is a command to go, but it's also an acknowledgement of an attribute of a disciple. This, this attribute of as you go. If you're a disciple of Jesus, your attribute, your very nature is that you are on the go. You are on mission. And so wherever you're at, whether you're here in this room, whether you're at Wawa, whether you're at the Philadelphia Zoo, whether you're at, definitely if you're uh, at an Eagles game, but wherever you're at, you're on mission. You're on mission. Go is a command, but it's also an attribute of a disciple. And just to be clear, it's not an assumption. Jesus isn't making an assumption when he says go. It's not like he's making an assumption like, I assume that you're on the go. No, Jesus doesn't assume he's omniscient. He's just speaking truth. If you're a disciple, you are on the go. And you also have a command to go. We are to live lives as missionaries wherever we are at. You can't be a disciple and not be on mission. They don't go together. They don't go together. Now, the thing about this is that what we need to understand is that there's one main command of the Great Commission. There's one main command of the Great Commission. And at times, what happens is people want to separate it into two commands, a command to go and a command to make disciples. And the problem with that is when you separate them into two commands is that churches tend to have one tendency over the other. They end up saying, well, we're going to be a very outreach-focused church because we're commanded to go, and so we're going to focus on that go, and we're going to be outreach-oriented, and we're going to do everything outreach, and we're going to do everything focused that way. And then other churches were like, well, I see that, but there's two commands there, so we're going to be a discipleship-oriented church, and we're going to do everything discipleship-driven, and we're going to be focused on teaching, and we're going to be focused on growing, and, and that's what we're going to be. We're going to be a discipleship-driven church. There's not two commands. There's one command. Go and make disciples. That's the command. 
It's not go, make disciples. It's not two, it's go and make disciples. You can't have outreach without discipleship, and you can't have discipleship without outreach. Outreach leads to discipleship. It is the beginning of discipleship. The command is to go and make disciples. So in order to fulfill that command, we have to live in the world, as William Carey said, and go out into the world and go to all nations. But we also need to understand that we live lives that are on the go. And everything we do is an opportunity for mission. And the purpose of going is to make disciples. We are not to go for the sake of going. We are to go for the purpose of making disciples. And the reason I bring that up is because sometimes I hear different statements to me, and sometimes I hear things that I get a little concerned about because of just a partial focus, an incomplete focus. At times I will hear from someone who just talks to me about how excited they are about all of their non-church friends or, all their, or friends who are not followers of Jesus. And they're like, I'm doing what the Bible says. I'm going out and I'm going and, and I'm making friends with those who are, who are non-Christian. I'm making friends with those who are not part of the church. I'm making friends with those who are not followers of Jesus. I'm doing the command. My question is, yeah, but are any of them becoming disciples? Are any of them becoming disciples? Because if the answer is no, then you're following the command incompletely. And then I might hear from another group of people who would tell me, I'm so excited about the people I'm pouring my life into. I'm so excited about training up these disciples. I'm in the church and I'm working with these younger people and I'm teaching them the Bible and they're growing in their faith and it's great. My question, are any of them not believers? Are any of them not part of the church? Because if the answer is no, then we're following an incomplete command. The command has to be done in its entirety. Its entirety. The command is to go and make disciples. And by the way, if neither of those things are occurring, and you consider yourself a follower of Jesus, then you're not living out the life that you need to be living out as a follower of Jesus. It's as plain and simple as that. If you think that you can walk around and just be a disciple of Jesus, but not be doing either of those things, you're not living out the life that you need to live as a disciple of Jesus. But when they both occur, when a church has people who are, who are living life on the go and who are going out into the world and making disciples, when they both occur, when, we are, when we're out in the world and, and introducing people to Jesus, and when we're in the church and we're growing as disciples, when, when that both occurs something amazing happens. When that both occurs, when a church is going on missions and introduces people to Jesus and then has disciples that are growing into followers of Jesus, that is teaching, that is mentoring, that is holding each other accountable, that is worshiping, that is baptizing, what happens is, is that is a church, it becomes a church of disciples who make disciples who make disciples. And multiplication is the whole point of discipleship. And amazing things happen. Amazing things happen. So in the Great Commission, we get a reveal. Jesus gives his credentials. He gives his credentials. And after giving his credentials, he gives a command. And the command is to go and make disciples. And then he gives us a promise. He gives us a promise. 
Let's finish Matthew 28. Verse 20. And surely I am with you always to the very end of the age. And surely I am with you always to the very end of the age. This is the drop the mic moment for Matthew. This is, he's written all this stuff. He's written the story of Jesus. He's written the gospel. And he gets to his very last line of his account. He gets to his very last line of the gospel. And this is what he wants to be echoing in the minds and hearts of the readers of his account. He wants this to be the last thing they hear so it echoes in there. The promise that Jesus makes. Jesus makes this promise because Jesus knows that in just a short amount of time, the very people that he's talking to on this mountain are going to face tremendous hardships, are going to face tremendous persecution. There will be people who will be in prison. There will be people who will be beaten. There will be people who will be killed for the sake of the gospel. And what he knows is that the mission that he just gave them will be impossible if they rely on their own skill sets, if they rely on their own strength. How do we know that it's impossible? How do we know it's impossible? How come we, how come, there we go. Um, Why are we not able to just do that on our own? Well, there's an interesting, there's an interesting detail in verse 17. Right? There's an interesting detail. And, and, and there's so much in, in the Bible. And at times you can read through it and you just miss things because you're just kind of reading through it really quickly. But in verse 17, when they saw him, they worshipped him. But some doubted. But some doubted. What? What? I've oftentimes thought about when I read the book of Acts or I just read uh, parts of the New Testament, I'm like, man, they did some amazing stuff. They, they're, they're facing uh, stonings. They're facing this amazing persecution, and they continue on in the mission of Jesus. And I think at times, I'm like, I look around, I'm like, yeah, but they actually heard him. They actually saw him. They, they ate with him. I mean, it's got to be much easier to do that, right? The people on that mountaintop, They saw him die. They saw him die. And now they see him alive in front of them. And they doubt. And they doubt. How does that happen? But you know what I love in that passage? I love what Jesus does in response to that doubt. He doesn't send them away. He doesn't look around and say, all of you who are doubting right now, all of you people who are doubting, gets to step in. I know you walked up the mountain. It's going to be much easier walking down. Now go. He doesn't do that. He includes those same people in the reveal. He includes those same people in the command. And he includes those same people in the promise. He includes those same people in the promise. Because Jesus knows that while they had a tremendous experience while they've had this tremendous experience of seeing him die, while they've had this tremendous experience of seeing him alive, while they have literally a tremendous mountaintop experience, experiences are not enough. Experiences are not enough. 
If we rely only on our experiences, we will not be able to carry out the mission. The only way the mission that Jesus gives us, the command can be fulfilled, is if the promise is fulfilled. And it is the fulfillment of Jesus' promise through the form of the Holy Spirit that allows the church to accomplish the Great Commission. It is the power and strength of the Holy Spirit that allows the church to move forward. It allows those who are being persecuted. It allows those who watch family members being brutally killed. It allows all of this to continue so that the gospel can go to all nations and disciples can be made. It is through the work of the Holy Spirit. Because when it comes to the command of Jesus, we weren't meant to do things for him. We were meant to do things with him. Because the Great Commission is all about relationships. It's all about relationships. You see, the purpose of making disciples is so that sinners, which all of us are, can be introduced to Jesus and have their relationship restored with God. Because discipleship occurs in that setting of relationship. And that's the beauty of Jesus' promise. At times we get so focused on the action item of the command, and that's all we're focused on. Let's get this checklist done. Let's get these numbers up. Let's go ahead and do this. I got to make sure that I get through this process. I got to make sure I get through this program. I got to make sure that I get to these areas. But the promise reminds us that discipleship is anchored in relationship. And that promise is saying is that I'm not going anywhere. Jesus is saying, I'm not going anywhere. This relationship is lasting. That's the beauty of this. Because Jesus is saying, you can't do this on your own. But you're not on your own. You're not on your own. I will be with you always. That's the kind of relationship that I offer you. Because the, 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 the command of the Great Commission is sandwiched by truths about Jesus. It's sandwiched by a, a, a reveal and a promise. Because Jesus just wants us to be focused on him and not just the actions of the command. Because discipleship is all about relationships. In fact, if you were to look at this passage that we would just read, if you looked at the settings for this command, what we would see is that actually discipleship occurs in the setting of three relationships. It exists in the setting of the relationship with God. It begins with the authority of God, and it it ends with the the promise of God. And that's what anchors, and that's what sandwiches, and that's what surrounds the command of discipleship, is this setting of a relationship with God. And it is enacted, it is acted out in the settings of church and world. Look at that. Go, go into all nations. That's the setting of world. It's where you go out and then teaching them and baptizing them. And that whole concept of growing occurs in the setting of relationship with the church. And when it comes to discipleship, we exist in that, in that spot right in the middle, that, that, that yellowish, orange, sunny delight color right in the middle. Where all three of those settings, all three of those relationships intersect. Because discipleship has to be focused on a relationship with God, a relationship with the church, and a relationship with the world. It is fueled by a relationship with God and is acted out in both the church and the world. And and those two settings of church and world, those are equally important. Because it's in the world where we gain disciples, it's in the church where we grow disciples, and then disciples are sent out into the world, and we gain more disciples, and those disciples that were sent out into the world, they grow. You see how that goes? It keeps going around and around and around. 
discipleship occurs in the setting of relationships. So what do we do with all that? You know, if we want to be a church of disciples who make disciples who make disciples, if we, if we want to be that kind of church, what do we do? What's the next step? What's a tangible next step? What is it that we could do as a church to get to that point, to be a discipleship-driven church? You know, that's a conversation that leadership at Calvary has been having for the past few years. We've been having that conversation where we're like, what is that next step? What is that clear pathway of discipleship that we can bring in front of our church to let them know, like, here's where you go next. Here's how we grow as disciples. Here's how we gain disciples. How do we grow in these, these, this setting of three relations? How do we do this? We've been asking that for a few years. And I'm very excited to tell you that today we're going to give you our answer. Let me introduce you to three relationships discipleship. Following Jesus primarily happens in the context of three relationships. Relationship with God, with the church, and with the world. Healthy relationships are not defined by a to-do list. Instead, people follow regular rhythms that develop and deepen their relationships. There are rhythms that connect us to God, helping us understand who He is and how we can become more like Him. There are rhythms that build our relationship with the church, growing and connecting with one another. There are rhythms that build our relationship with the world, helping us make an impact on those around us with the gospel. Introducing Three Relationships, a simple, powerful model for making disciples. Let me give you the story behind Three Relationships. A few years back, if you've been here at Calvary for a while, a few years back, you may remember a guy coming over here from California named Wes Coddington. Wes Coddington was uh, a former student of Jay Desco's and had become a really good friend of Jay's. Uh, I had the privilege of being able to uh, get to know him and also call him a friend of mine. And what Wes did was, Wes was really passionate about discipleship. And as he studied discipleship and as he worked as a pastor, uh, he began to see this concept of discipleship occurring in the setting of relationships. And so he developed what was called Three Relationships Discipleship. And he came actually a few years ago and actually talked to us about that. And it's a powerful and yet simple method for discipleship. It acknowledges that as disciples we need to exist in the settings of relationship with God, relationship with church, and relationship with the world. And it gives us these rhythms to grow in those settings. Five rhythms for each setting right now for a total of 15. And there's assessments that you can take to, to learn where you're strong at and where you're weak at. And there's all these great things. And Wes did a lot of work on that. And he saw a lot of fruit from that. A little over a year ago, Wes passed away from cancer. So we lost a friend and we lost someone who brought a lot of smiles to our face. But we didn't lose his impact. We didn't lose his impact because what he created is continuing to impact the lives of people who are serious about being disciple-makers. And we are honored to let you know that we get to play a big part of that here at Calvary Church. As we were wrestling with this concept, as we were looking at discipleship as a leadership, we reached out to Karen, Wes's wife. 
And long story short, what ended up happening is Calvary Church, we were going to pick up that mantle of Wes and pick up the mantle of three relationships and continue to move it forward. And so now it is the official discipleship model of not just Calvary Church, but of other churches around this country. And we are super excited about that. We are super excited about that. And we need you to know that there are things that are going to be coming over the next year that you will be just hearing about this all the time because it's going to become the filter through which we do everything. Three Relationships is going to be the filter through which we see how we do Calvary Kids, how we do Calvary Students, how we do Bridge Ministries, how we do our Sunday services. It's going to be a filter through which we are doing things because we are going to be a church on mission and we're going to be a church of disciples who make disciples who make disciples. So here's the next step for you. We would like to give you an invitation. Next Sunday, next Sunday evening, uh, we're bringing in David Carter. David Carter uh, is a discipleship pastor up in a church in Bellefonte, Pennsylvania, right outside of State College. Uh, and they have been using three relationships. And he's going to be coming next Sunday to do some training on this. And also he's going to be doing some uh, more uh, in-depth training of how do you actually facilitate conversations around three relationships. And so if you'd like to attend that training, you're invited. Head out to the hub. Let them know that you would like information about that. They'll reach out to us. We'll get in contact with you about that. You can also call us at the office or you can email us. Maybe like, oh, I'm not here next Sunday. I want to learn more about that. That's okay. This is a great training. It's a really great opportunity. We want you to be here next Sunday. But what you need to also understand is that we're going to continue Wednesday nights in the fall. And starting in September, we're going to take nine weeks where we're just going to dive into three relationships and unpack it. And so you're invited to that as well. And what we need you to understand is that a disciple is simply someone who listens to and learns from Jesus in order to live and love like Jesus. And we are going to create an atmosphere where we can grow and do just that. So you've gotten the invitation. You have to respond to the invitation, so let us know. We want you to be out there next Sunday. We want you to be joining us on Wednesday nights. You got an invitation. But just in case you forgot, or you thought I forgot, you also have homework. Make sure that you're praying this week and make sure you're grabbing three names to pray as well. We're going to be a church of disciples who make disciples who make more disciples. And we are excited because we finally have a plan on how we're going to be just that. Let's pray. Lord, we thank you so much for your goodness. And I just want to thank you right now, especially for Wes and Karen, for the sacrifices they made, for the time that they spent to really be investing in not just their own church, but the church all around them. And create a way that we can grow as disciples. God, this is a new a new shift for us. This is a new time for us, a new chapter. And it's exciting, but it's also one of those things that you look at and I'm like, oh, can we do this? I thank you for your promise in the midst of those moments when we look at ourselves and we can say, yeah, but he promised to be with us. And it's through the strength of the Holy Spirit that we can do this. I ask you that you would do a great work in our hearts so that we can then be sent into our communities and around the world 
and impact lives with the gospel so that we will see disciples make disciples who make more disciples. We pray this in the name of Jesus. Amen.